What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Boiled Up with Rayfield Davis podcast, brought to you by the Field of 68 Podcast Network. Um, this week, we're brought to you by AJ's Burgers Beef and Beer in West Lafayette. AJ's been known for serving the best burgers and Chicago-style favorites in West Lafayette since 2008. There's no better place in West Lafayette to catch a big game, enjoy some great food, and sip on some ice-cold beer after a game. I mean, when I was on campus, uh, we go after a game. We go at midnight. Uh, it was usually open. It was one of my favorite places. Eric Hunter said recently he's one of his favorite places. Um, before you were there, Jerry. <laughs> but uh, today, joining us today is a very special guest, someone that um, I've recently come in contact with that I'm overly uh, just amazed with his work um, and intrigued with hearing more about it. Um, to me, someone that created exactly what I'm doing right now, kind of coming into basketball online, website, stuff like that. Um, a genius in the bracketology world, um, right? BCS, RPI, everything you know it. Um, CBS is on, Jerry Palm. How you doing, Jerry? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I appreciate you joining us today. Uh, it's great to be on. It's like I said, it's always good to talk to Purdue people. So uh, this will be fun. Yeah, this will be real fun. I just want to um, just kind of jump in because your world – with basketball, I'm sure it's really affected, even through football recently with COVID. How has COVID kind of affected everything you've been doing? Yeah, it's, uh, it, well, mostly it's affected all of the schedules that I try and track and keep track yeah. of. I mean, in football, we had a, a ton of postponed and canceled games in basketball. We had as many as 300. I had a list of postponed games up to about 330. Um, maybe 10% of those eventually got made up and the rest just got canceled because they ran out of time. Uh, and it's created, you know, some disparate schedules and number of games. Like I'm comparing a team like St. Louis, who's played 17 games, 18 games with teams that have 18 wins and <clears> played <throat> 25 yeah. games. And it's really hard to, to make those comparisons. And the committee's going to have a hard time with that too, because, you know, a team like St. Louis didn't get to really show what they're really capable of. They had a 34 day COVID pause in the middle of the season. And, you know, it's, it's really hard uh, for, for a team like that to show what they can do. And it puts a lot of pressure on a team like that at this point of the season because they're running out of time to show what right. they can do. No, that's true. And kind of like you just broke all that down beautifully and how COVID is affecting the season. And before you even got to this point and being able to track games, um, like you said, speaking with the committee, um, being so deep into college basketball, I want to take a step back because I kind of, Gave little people a little bit kind of a blurb, kind of what you do in your everyday. But how did you get to this point? I know you start. You I know you went to Purdue, but before that, what kind of led you to Purdue? What led you to joining the band at Purdue? Then what kind of ultimately got you into basketball? Well, I'm about as born and bred a boilermaker as you can find. I was born in Home Hospital in Lafayette, um, <laughs> with 1963 when my parents were in school. So, school. <laughs> uh, so. Um, and now they've torn home hospital down and they built a senior center there. So they're planning for my eventual return apparently. Um, but uh, my dad and my mom would take me to Purdue games, one football game a year, one basketball game a year when I was growing up, obviously they're big Purdue fans too. Um, and so I was, I mean, I was excited about sports. I always have loved sports. Baseball was my first love, um, but uh, always loved Purdue sports and uh, just, but when I was watching Purdue football, you know, I was never going to be an athlete. I mean, I'm, I, I was built like the yard marker. I was never going to be able to play football. I just, I, I, was, I was not a very good athlete, but I love sports. So, uh, but I, marching band, I love the marching band. That was one of my favorite parts of the games when I was younger. 
and so when I eventually ended up at Purdue, and I was always going to go to Purdue as long as they were any good at what I wanted to study, um, I, and that ended up being computer science, and it's an elite computer science school. So uh, it was perfect for me, and then I was able to get into the marching band and did four years with the marching band while I was in school. Um, almost all of my friends from Purdue are still people that I met in the marching band. Um, so it was a big part of my life and uh, just a, you know, a fraternity of sorts. But um, it's, uh, it, it was really the, the way we got to blow off steam. One of the unique things about Purdue's marching band is there's no music majors. There's no music majors at Purdue at all. So yeah. we're all just a bunch of engineers and computer scientists and whatever, uh, you know, just having fun. And I think it shows in our performances that that's, that's what we do. Um, and now the band is so much better than when I was in school. I'd be embarrassed to try out for the band now because they're, they're fantastic. Uh, but that was a big part of my life. Uh, but then, you know, I had a computer science degree. So I got a job doing programming. I worked for lawyers for about eight years and bankers for about nine years and um, doing really what I like to do. It was great. Um, but in 1994, uh, the, uh, college basketball, the NCAA selection committee had at that time the RPI and they changed the formula that year. And I had a new computer and a new database and the internet was this brand new thing and uh, that, that the public was just getting into. So I thought, well, I'm going to, you know, teach myself all of this stuff and uh, by trying to recreate the RPI. And so I did, uh, it was like January and February of, of 94, uh, which was uh, the big year for Purdue when they were a number one seed with the uh, big dog. Um, and then, you know, I started sharing the information. I had to go to the library and gather it because we didn't have like team websites where you could just get schedules. Uh, so, um, <laughs> so it was a very, very tedious, uh, process, but that's what, that's all right. Um, so I shared it thinking that, you know, nobody would care because it's a pretty geeky thing. And, you know, maybe enough people who would fit comfortably in my minivan would care, but it turned out more people than that cared. Um, and so I, they were asking me to publish it in different ways and I couldn't. And then the next year, uh, America online, AOL gave me a one page website. So I had a place to publish it and people could look at it. And then the next year I created my, its own website, collegerpi.com. And, uh, that, that 1996 is kind of the miracle of my story. I'm probably still toiling in, a, uh, anonymity, if not for this, it's the one year in a generation that Penn state is good at basketball. And, you know, if you follow you know, the Big Ten, you know that that's true. 20 every 20 years, we get a good Penn State team. So this particular year, they're good. Uh, they got the Crispin brothers and a guy who covers them uh, found what I was trying to do. Uh, I was doing brackets then uh, and he called me and he, we talked a lot and he apparently liked me because he passed my name around in the sports writer network. And within a couple of years, everybody covering college basketball knew who I was because I was the one resource for all of the, the numbers, uh, not brackets. I would, Joe Lenardi and I were both doing brackets at the time, um, but I was the only one who really understood the numbers behind it. And so, you know, it just built. And then 98, they started the BCS for college football and uh, I could easily adapt what I was doing in basketball for football. So I started doing that. But at this time, all of this is just a hobby for me. Um, I'm still working for, at that time, bankers. Um, but in 2002, uh, I got downsized by the bank. They moved my job to Charlotte. So apparently we got bought by one bank too many. And uh, so I turned my hobby into a job. I started charging subscriptions. Uh, I got downsized March 1st. Oh, that's today, the anniversary of me getting downsized 19 years ago. Um, 
anyways, they, uh, I went to the final four that year. I talked to a bunch of sports writers to run this idea of changing my site from free to subscription. And they encouraged me. So then for a while I was making my living doing college football and college basketball. I did more writing. Um, I started doing a little bit of game coverage. I was doing some freelance work for USA Today and Sporting News and, and uh, CBS uh, back then. And then about 2011, so I'm almost 10 years into it, CBS essentially bought out my websites and took me on as a full-time freelance writer and then eventually made me an employee. And I've been full-time with CBS now. Uh, this is my 11th year full-time with CBS. So, uh, and that's that was an incredible blessing getting to be uh, with the, the company that holds the rights to the basketball tournament. And I've had so much right. access to, to games, not just NCAA tournament games, but uh, um, ga any game I pretty much want to go to, I can go to. And it's, uh, um, it's, it's been uh, just this remarkable ride. And I would have never thought this kind of thing could happen when I was growing up. I would have never imagined it. Um, I had a hobby I created into a job that combined all of my various passions, you know, computers, sports, numbers, because I was always very good at that. And, uh, and here I am. I mean, it's a weird story. Uh, and then, you know, and then I'll get people ask me, it's like, well, how did you get into sports writing? You know, uh, how do I follow you in your footsteps? And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't really know that following in my footsteps is a thing. It's, yeah. I just, I just created my, I just created something out of nothing and, and turned into a job. And, um, I, I just kept following, walking through open doors. People would open a door for me and I kept walking through and, uh, I guess it just shows what can happen when you follow your passion. But, uh, I, I don't know. I know it doesn't always work out that way, but, uh, I got lucky. No, I mean, it makes a lot of sense too, especially for, um, like for me with my, um, my camps and the non nonprofit foundation that we're building, something that I push really strong is that it's bigger than basketball. So for, like you said, for, for that kid who's loves the sport, say maybe not in basketball, but loves the sport, wants to be in a sport, but maybe they realize I'm not going to be the player, but like for you, you followed the passion, you didn't give it up and you know, creating something of your own. I think that's something that a lot of, well, go ahead. What are you going to say? I was gonna say, I've always been involved in sports at some level, right? Yeah, I, I've been cool. an umpire for baseball. I did 16 years of that. I did eight years yeah. of basketball officiating. I yeah. coached my kids. I coached a lot that's of kids. Cool. You know, I just, I just couldn't play. I was just, that's I'm tough. the worst hitter in the history of organized baseball <laughs> who played for as long as I did because most people would have had the sense to give it up. But I played nine years <laughs> uh, and the bat was heavier than me for pretty much all nine of those years, which is probably why I couldn't hit. Uh, but it was, but I loved it. I was just, it's, it, it, it's weird that I ended up at a job involving sports but uh that's i wouldn't cool. trade it for anything yeah because i mean and nah i played baseball for one year and i probably was worse than you i, I, I it took yeah. me one year to figure that out good sense to give it up i didn't have a good sense to give it up i dropped i gave all my equipment away it was over with like i i don't i think the one time i got on base was just was i think i got hit it was like a well i don't think i walked i think every time i got to base i struck out because i thought it was gonna be superman and I got hit once I got on base and I tried to steal a base and then I got out. I don't think I ever crossed the, I don't think I got to run the whole season, but no, I, uh, your story, I think it makes, it makes a lot of sense. It's kind of what I'm doing as well. Cause I, I played, but then I got hurt. I ruptured my disc in my back and then I worked for Eli Lilly for four years. And there's kind of, I still want to be involved with the game somehow. It's kind of still following that passion, kind of building something now, but I want to go back cause you were at Purdue and times where I heard about just kind of, and I'm a real big, I'm a Purdue, before I was a Purdue player, I was a Purdue fan. And after I'm a Purdue player, I'm a Purdue fan. So I hear about the 80s. So that's Coach Katie. You, uh, or, so what year did you graduate? 
I graduated in 85. So my freshman year at Purdue was Coach Katie's sophomore year at Purdue. He had just come in the year before. So right. I was and there. That was, so that was Roosevelt's senior year then, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I okay. believe it was. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, How was that? I, that was great. I mean, the, you know, Gene was just starting to build something then. And we won the uh, co-champion uh, of the Big Ten in 84 with Illinois, who had this great team. Uh, and they were predicted to win. We were predicted ninth. Now, back then, it was still a 10-team league. And by the way, I'm in favor of going back to 10 anytime we want to do it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm just – I'm a curmudgeon that way. Um, but we were picked ninth in that league. We had Ricky Hall and uh, Kurt Clausen was on that team. And Jim Rowinski ended up being the MVP of the league. And uh, But that, that team was picked ninth and probably overrated because nobody was expecting anything of this team. And – all of a sudden, they just get on a roll, and Rowinski's this force in the middle and was really the first guy uh, of the, like the Muscle Beach guys that we had through the 80s and the 90s, uh, guys like you know, Craig Riley and Steve Scheffler and these just big, strong guys in the middle uh, that really made other teams uh, frustrated because nobody else had guys that big. Um, but uh, Jim Rowinski's the MVP of the league that year. We win the Big Ten Championship. I would argue it's the single best single season coaching job anybody's ever done because that how that team ended up winning the big 10 is still uh just mind-boggling to me but this it was is the, the team the, that the came beginning. in ninth this is they the team picked that for ninth. picked the pick ninth and they won and the they league. won the big 10 Damn. and they, they shared it with <laughs> illinois that year and uh and then of course we went out in the first round of the tournament because uh we shot like 20 percent. i think that was the year we were at memphis and and Keith Lee lit us up, and, and I think Katie said something after the game about how we couldn't shoot paper balls into a trash can that day. But uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's funny. You know, Gene's Gene was Gene was one of a kind. You know, it's we don't have guys like that anymore. Like who would just say whatever's on their mind in a press conference? But the when he first came to Purdue, the thing that really endeared him to Purdue fans is we go down to IU and we get beat, and Bobby Knight's working the refs, and they're they're lapping it up. The refs are at that one game. And, and Gene's just, Gene's just really mad. And he gets into the press conference after the game. And he says something like, if you think I'm going to sit here and take that and, and put up with that for all of this, I'm not, you, you don't know me very well. <laughs> he's just, he, he, and it's like, Oh, we got someone who's going to stand up to Bob. All right. <laughs> that's dope. And, uh, and he did. You know, and it's funny that they're friends now. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird for probably both Purdue and Indiana fans <laughs> that they're friends now. Um, yeah. But, uh, but uh, I guess when you're not beating each other's brains out anymore, then, uh, then you have time to find out that you've probably got more in common than you have differences. That's dope. And how, what was Mackie like in that time? Playing, I mean, just being a – I mean, It I was mean, loud. Or, yeah, I it, bet. Yeah, it was loud. I mean, we didn't have a student section like we do now, you know, the, the mm. paint crew and the gene pool before that. I totally would have been that guy. if I would have been <laughs> – I would have been like the president of whatever student section we had back then, but we didn't have that. We, our seats were always in the top half of the arena, the upper deck of the arena and kind of all the way around uh, was right. essentially students. But uh, yeah, that place was loud. It's, it's better now. The crowd is better now. And I think the organized student sections really helps with that. But man, it's, it's one of the loudest buildings I've ever been in for anything um, you know, you get into buildings with bigger crowds, you know, like football stadiums and, and obviously those are domes, but the, the, the intimacy of Mackey arena makes it really difficult to hear when you're down on the floor. 
Um, sure. And I was lucky I was never good enough to be in Boiler Brass. So I wasn't in the pep band. I just got to sta- sit in the stands and yell my head off. Um, and that was, uh, that was always uh, the highlight. You know, I, I looked forward to basketball more than, than pretty much anything else and marching band. Um, in fact, I blew off, I didn't say blew off, but my first physics test at Purdue uh, my freshman year was the night of the Purdue Indiana home game. And so I asked the professor, I said, you know, do you know that this is the night of the Purdue Indiana home game? Because I'm an idiot freshman, right? And he just looks up in this big crowded room of freshmen and says, uh, did you come here for a, an education or for basketball? And I'm thinking, well, you know, why not both? But um, so, so you know where the physics building is on campus. It's like two blocks from Madison. So, so that night of the test, I got all dressed up in my gear for the game. I took the test in 20 minutes. I walked out, put the, walked down the stairs. Everybody stared at me, slammed the test on my desk. And I'm, I'm in Mackie Arena in time to boo Bobby Knight as he walks through the tunnel, which is really one of the highlights of the season. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, (laughs) so I guess, uh, that might not have been the, uh, uh, something I would recommend to my children when they're, uh, when they're in school, I, I tell them that story and then I tell them that don't do that. Um, it only worked for me because physics, the first part of the class was review because I had it in high school, but yeah, you know, uh, the class got a lot harder after that. So you you better show up and pay attention. (laughs) It's funny. And so, like like you said, you were there at the beginning of kind of Katie's career. It kind of what it led into from there, kind of after you left. Like, because I remember, um, like, I remember, I think of Grady's father, Greg Eifert, you think of Three Amigos, Big Dog, and all those guys. Jones. Did you you see that? Did you see that in Katie early? Did you see him building a program that will go on in the 90s, not only compete with Bob Knight, but win three in a row Big Ten championships? I thought if we could get good enough players, yes. I thought if he could make a champion out of that 1984 team, mm-hmm. did a, we got better players, we could do a lot better than that. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was really just a matter of getting players. And then, you know, we had Troy Todd and Everett. Um, that was huge uh, for this, um, the building of this program. And then you land the big dog. Uh, Conzo Martin was a fantastic player and a three-time team captain. I think he was the first uh, underclassman that Katie named a captain. Uh, he was a captain as a sophomore. Yeah, Matt Painter was on some of those teams, and he ends up being both of those guys end up being really good coaches. So you know, it, yeah, you can tell, you can tell if, if Gene could get the right guys, and he, you had to get, and, and Matt has talked about this before too. You had to get guys that fit the culture that he wanted, and Matt made some mistakes early on uh, where he was recruiting guys that were talented but didn't fit the culture, and Gene made those mistakes uh, at one point as well, and then had to you go back to what you know makes Purdue basketball. Purdue basketball and if you can recruit talented guys that want to play the way that Purdue plays and and live the the basketball player life at Purdue that that you need to live um, then then you have a chance to be very successful and we've seen that we saw that with Gene and we saw that uh, we've seen that now with Matt um, with the way that they've been able to build these programs and get some very talented kids and and now you know that the future is really bright for the the team that we're on we put on the court this year um, they're doing very well as it is, and you get everybody back next year, assuming everybody comes back, and the guys that are coming in, they have a chance to have a very special season next year. No, yeah, that's true. From like you said, from what it's built to what it's built to now, it's been crazy. And I do got I got a question that kind of popped in my head as you were talking, and this may be, I don't know how you, how you may think of this question, but in your eyes, I know I played, obviously, and I committed mm-hmm. as a freshman. I was at Purdue. I've seen a lot of Purdue players come through. I get what you're saying about a Purdue guy, what a Purdue guy looks like, what a Purdue guy doesn't look like. But obviously you've been watching Purdue longer than me. 
in your eyes, um, outside of locker room, when you think of Purdue basketball, even growing up, because it seems as though a Purdue, if you get the right Purdue guy now, he could, he maybe could have played for Katie. You know what I mean? And the right oh, guy to play for Katie could have played for Paint. So yep. what is that Purdue guy in, in the eyes of, what would you say? What makes a guy a Purdue guy? It's the hard work. It's the willingness to do what it takes to make yourself better. And also the willingness to, to perform in the role that the coaches are asking you to perform, even if it's not maybe what you exactly want, but you put the team before yeah, yourself. Sure. And if yeah. you put the team before yourself, ultimately yourself will blossom too. It's hard for 18 year olds to understand that. Um, but if, if, if you get guys that are willing to do that, willing to do the work to succeed, to make, to improve themselves and to perform in the role that the coaches ask them to perform in, then you've got a chance, first of all, to have really good team chemistry. Um, but also uh, you, when you include talent, talented guys doing that, you have a chance to be a great team. And, and there's a lot to be said for learning those skills in college. You know, when you get to the NBA, I mean, yeah, sure. You know, the NBA has got teams and they're trying to win championships and, and there's teamwork and stuff involved there. But a lot, part of the reason why the NBA doesn't appeal to me as much is it's too much individual and not enough team. Right. And one of the things that really I like about Purdue basketball is individuals can shine. You know, you can, you can have Glenn Robinson, you can have Carson Edwards, you can have guys that really shine still within the concept of the team trying to succeed collectively toward a goal. And, and that's, um, th that to me is what really appeals uh, for Purdue basketball. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense to me and exactly how I think of it. Because that's what happened even early in my career. We just, I mean, we come off the baby boilers, uh, DJ Bird. We, have a, we don't have a bad year that year. We should have a bad non-conference. But that next year, a locker room just wasn't what it, what it should have been coming last in the Big Ten. Then Paint, I mean, in my head, Paint made a commitment to getting Purdue guys. Because it felt like those five freshmen, that came in, Jaquil, Isaac, Vince, PJ Dakota. I feel like they fit the mold. You know what I mean? They it it kind of brought us back. I know I get credit for it. <laughs> I don't know why, but I feel like those five guys brought us back. And those five guys even taught our sophomores a little bit. I mean, those five guys end up out working and end up getting starting positions that year. So, I mean, yeah. it definitely shows that when you do come in, you do want to play hard. You do want to fit that mold. You do want to give it up yourself for the team pain to play you and that's kind of what this play you guys and put you on the floor that's kind of what this team is now it feels like in my eyes i'm not in a locker room but i feel like this team really gels in the locker room they get along they really give themselves up for each other and that's rare for a team so young to get it so early but like you were saying this team is good where do you see this team turning the corner going into march well, I think they may have already turned a corner. I mean, that you're not now you're getting the kind of production from Jaden Ivey that we might have seen a month ago if he doesn't hurt his knee early in the season. Right. You yes. know, and so that that set him back. But the thing about Ivy, uh, and you see it. I mean, after after every home game, he goes out and shoots for about an hour. I mean, this is a guy putting in the work, and and he's a coach's son, and you can see <laughs> that in his game too. And uh, it's uh, I think it's great. Uh, he. I think he's got a very high ceiling. We're just scratching the surface of what Jay Ivey can do. Um, but he's going to be the star on this team, maybe even next year, uh, mm -hmm. because you see it already at times, what he can, his athletic ability, 
uh, once he starts getting more comfortable shooting and when the game slows down for him so that he's not thinking as much and reacting more uh, to just what he sees, uh, then he's going to be, uh, he's going to be one of the best players in this league. Maybe one of the best players in the country. He's, he's got that level of talent. Um, but then, you know, the other guys, you know, they're no slouches, right? right you know, Eric right, Hunter, right. Eric, Eric Hunter's uh, one of those guys that we talked about. Eric Hunter comes into Purdue. I think the third all-time leading scorer in Indiana high school history. I mean, yeah. this is a guy who can flat out light it up and Pater wants him to play point and be more of a distributor and run the offense. And yeah, get some points when you can and yeah. be the best defender on the team. And yeah. so he's asking all of these other things of Eric Hunter and Eric Hunter Puts so puts the scoring aside because I think Eric Hunter could get 25 if he if he needed to get 25, right? He's capable yeah, of that. I agree. I agree. But but that's not his role on the team. So his role is to facilitate for Travion and for you know Brandon Newman and Jaden Ivey and whoever's on Sasha, whoever else is on the floor, you know, and he does that and he gets his points when he can. And that, you know, that's a that's a team guy. That's a guy who said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. It might not even be my strength, but I'll make it my strength. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to win games this way. And, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, t- to me, Eric Hunter is, is, I don't know if he's the captain of the team. Cause I don't know who the captains are, but that that's a guy who leads by example. And you can yeah. tell by the way he's taken on the role that he's been given and the way he's excelled at that role. No, that's true. And I, um, I don't know if he's a captain. I call him a captain. I call him a captain. So yeah, he's definitely, even the way he, um, encourages the young guys he may not be having the greatest game but he encourages those young guys he picks them up even the games where he wasn't playing where he was hurt he was watching film with the freshman I think it was Brandon and Mason it's like five in the morning he's up watching film and I know when I hurt my knee my senior year I'm not watching film with Grady and Biggie from <laughs> incline five in the morning no, I'm not doing that <laughs> but no you know, it's great to kind of see this team like you said Jaden was a guy that that like I've said that too, that his injury kind of slowed down his progression a little bit, but now you're starting to see what maybe we would have saw if he didn't get hurt a little before this. Right. And we shouldn't give up on Ethan Morton either because yeah, I mean, this guy one. starts his, his career with mono, you know, yeah. and, and mono <laughs> wipes you out for longer than just how, yep. you know, before you can join practice again, it takes you a long time 100%. to get back into condition. And his just, his whole freshman year has just been, you know, it's been unfortunate because he's been so far behind. He hasn't been able to get on the court much. Yeah. Um, but I know paint loves him and, yeah. you know, and, and hopefully he gets that message, you know, that there's a role for you on this team. You just gotta, you know, you gotta be patient. You gotta get back into shape and that, and that there's a role for you on this team because I, he could be really good, but you know who I, I really like among this freshman. I mean, I like all of them, but Mason Gillis has a knack for being in the right spot at the right time. If you need a rebound, you need a three pointer, you need eight free throws at the end of the game, you need whatever it is that you need. Mason Gillis finds a way to get done, and especially late in games when Purdue's trying to close things out. He, he's he's got a I don't know if it's instinct, IQ, dumb luck, what it is, but <laughs> but he's got a real knack for for being yeah. in the right place at the right time and making the right play at the right time. Yeah, no. And how big is it to have a guy like that, whether it be young or old, just a guy that can be in that position for a team oh. to have success? Yeah, I mean, it's you. Uh, they call him blue guys. I mean, he's definitely yeah. that guy. You know, the, the Chris Kramer was like that. Brian Cardinal was like that. Every good team has got a guy like that. And Purdue's got a guy like that. Yeah, no, no doubt. Hey, Jerry, going into March, obviously you've seen some great, I mean, some March Madness. What's some March Madnesses that stick out to you? Wow. Or some games or times? Um, I was uh, uh, blessed to get to see Steph Curry 
in the regional in Detroit um, when they played Wisconsin and Kansas. And then I got to see Carson in Louisville uh, last year when uh, yeah. we played Tennessee and Virginia. Yes. Oh man, you should have seen me on the press. You know, you can't not allowed to cheer on the press row. So I'm I've got like duct tape around my mouth. I've got I'm tied my hands tied behind my back. I'm getting up during the timeouts to pace behind the press row because I do, I can't get rid of my energy. It's uh it, it's uh sometimes hard being a Purdue fan on press row, but uh um so I've got to see that. You know, I got to go to the final four in San Antonio. This is one of my favorite stories. Um with the the year that the four number one seeds were there, so it's like 2010. Uh, Kansas ends up winning, uh, but Memphis uh, had the game won late. And I'm my job that year. I'm I'm freelancing for uh, a previous version of the CBS Sports Network. My job is to cover Memphis, so I'm sitting behind the Memphis bench, and I've got the Memphis crowd behind me. And Memphis is winning this game. They're going to win their first national championship, and they're feeling it. Right? The bench is excited. The crowd's excited. And Kansas is trying to crawl back. And that Memphis team couldn't shoot a free throw to save their life. I had a better chance of making free throws from where I was sitting than Memphis did on the court. Um, and they ended up, you know, Mario Chalmers hits a three to tie the game to send it into overtime. And I, I heard so many swear words coming from the 5,000 Memphis fans behind me and the bench. In front. I had no idea some of these were even swear words. It, I think that some of they were making some of them up. And, and it was like, if you're a Harry Potter fan, you know, the game is now in overtime and Kansas is, is starting to run away with it because they, they've given Memphis the gut punch they can't recover from, yeah. right? And it's like the mentors have entered the building. And if you're a Harry Potter fan, you know, they are how they just suck the life out of you. All of these Memphis fans have had the life suck out of them. And then, you know, so the game's over and I go to the press conference and I'm walking out of the building and I'm feeling all of that. I, I'm, I'm wearing this cloak of despair that was surrounding me. And I'm thinking... I don't even really like Memphis that much. You know, I got to shake this off. <laughs> you know, I should not be feeling this much of their pain. <laughs> oh, so that was, uh, that, but that was, but that was a very exciting championship game. I was, I had great seats for um, Gordon Hayward's shot that, that almost beat Duke uh, in, yeah. in Indianapolis uh, for Chris Jenkins shot that won for Villanova. He goes running up into the stands to find his mom. It almost ran me over. Um, you got, <laughs> Oh, here's a, here's a, here's a final four story for you. That has nothing to do with the game. The, the year that Kentucky was undefeated, the champion Wisconsin beats him is in the championship game that year, Bo Ryan's coaching the team. His dad had passed away the previous year. And so they come out of a timeout in the second half. And Jim Nance is telling this very poignant story about how Bo used to come to the final four with his dad. His dad just passed away. And, and Roy Williams left his seat at the final four empty in honor of Bo's dad. That's a really nice story. So the camera pans around to show uh, the seat that's left empty and my fat head is in the way because my seat's in front of it. And so, so Jim Nance, it's like two rows in front of me on press road, you know, starts drawing telestrator arrows to the seat, which look like they're pointing to my ears and I'm looking down and, and I have no idea what's going on. And so, and you know, I've totally ruined this very poignant story about Bo Ryan's dad by having my fat head in the way. And it's like, I saw Jim after the game, he said, you know, you could have just told me, Jared, this would be a good time to go get a Diet Coke or something. You know, come, come back with, but no, you know, so, so now I, I, I need to get my kids to teach me Photoshop so I can put those arrows in other pictures of me, like maybe my wedding picture and stuff. That's too funny. And go, and after those moments, hopefully we can get you the moments this season. This will be a very unique tournament. I mean, being in the bubble, being in Indianapolis, all the games in the one city, one state, I'm um, the Hoosier state at that. What kind of 
this crazy season, you don't. I mean, Gonzaga, Baylor, kind of at the top. What do, what do you? I mean, yeah, Michigan as of late. What are you expecting from this year? Do you think Michigan can win it all, or kind of? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they, they don't really have much of a weakness in their game. Um, sure. You know, Baylor and Michigan both, you know, three-week COVID pauses, you know, and you lose something out of that. I mean, we talked about that a little bit before. You're seeing it in Baylor. I mean, they come out of a COVID pause, and, and they're playing Big 12 games where they've got like seven top 25-ish teams, and they're one of them. And, you know, they go to Kansas where they hardly ever win. They're one in 18 now after the loss over the weekend there. And, uh, you know, that so they've got a tough time. Michigan comes out. And they're playing at Wisconsin right away and came back in the second half to beat them. And yeah, those three teams, I'll take those three and I'll give you the field. Uh, Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, I'm, I'm 75% convinced the champion is one of those three teams. Um, good luck picking one. You know, you got a one in three chance. But uh, it, it's, it should be a fun tournament anyway. The tournament's always fun. Uh, you're still going to see upsets. I'm glad that they're going to have 25% capacity for fans so you're, that you know for Mackey that's 14,000 so 3,500 fans in Mackey you can be plenty loud in Mackey with 3,500 people because you got that big metal roof and everything echoes so yeah. um and Hinkle uh, great great facilities to have this tournament in um so I, I think it should be good it should be fun hopefully we don't have too many teams have to back out especially in the middle of it I don't think it's realistic to expect that though that the committee's going to announce a 68 team bracket with the 68 teams they really wanted and then have 67 games played with those teams. Yeah, that's just not the way this season has worked. So there's going to be some bumps and bruises along the way, but it'll be nice to see a champion get crowned. Oh uh, yeah, it's very um like you said, it's going to be exciting, it's going to be fun, especially being able to have it in Indiana. That's what I'm looking forward to the most. Yeah, me too. Um, obviously, obviously being from Indiana is just a big deal. But I mean, Jerry, I got one question for you. And I know obviously it's not, it is not necessarily how to follow your path, but <laughs> say there is someone who, who loves the sport of basketball. They want to become a writer. And, but they're not necessarily looking for a path to go. They just want to know what separates a good writer from, let's say good or bad, but a successful, a successful writer from a writer that really can never get off the ground. Um, I think it's, uh, you have to be diligent. Uh, you have to, you know, when you're, when you're a reporter, you have to try and mine your sources. You have to build a network, not just of other sports writers, but of the people that you're covering without getting too close to them, right? They have to trust you so that you'll talk to them and so that you'll know, you know, what really I can print and what I should just keep in my pocket for a while to, you know, use to say maybe color a story at some point. Um, but, you know, you have to, you have to be able, you have to be a really good people person. You have to be able to draw information out of people that may not be very willing to give it to you. And then you have to be thick skinned because, you know, if you're covering a team or if you're covering even nationally, you're going to write stuff that people don't agree with. And they're going to be very happy to let you know that they don't agree with it. So, you know, it's, it's a job, you know, especially if you, if you write opinion pieces, it, it's a job where you are expected to be perfect and improve from there. And for me, that's every job I've ever had. I mean, I went from programming payroll to umpiring and, and basketball ref, and now I'm a sports writer. So, you know, <laughs> so it's, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, but it's, you know, there'll, there'll be times it's like, why is my, why is my team seed so low? And you explain it to them and they don't like it. And they, yeah. you know, they call you every name in the book. They write a few more names in the book and uh, you know, it's, <laughs> As long as it's not my wife, you know, then I'm okay with it. You know, she starts calling me that, I got a problem. <laughs> no, no doubt. No, that's been great advice. And just, I know, I don't know at this point, I am, I think I, I have one question from Twitter. Okay. What goes into seeding? 
how do you how does the teams get seated in the tournament well the same way they get selected i mean you have you know your tournament resume um that it basically it's every game you played and all the results and they divide them into four quadrants uh which the net is used to define those quadrants so your better games are in quadrant one um your second best set of games is quadrant two and they're looking for quality wins uh they're looking for the quality of your losses um they're looking for uh, your strength of schedule although it'll be a little bit less this year because schedules have been so truncated um and varied by the pandemic <laughs> that you know especially your non-conference schedule if you have a bad non-conference schedule that can really work against you and i think this year it's not going to work against you as much there'll be more uh leeway given for that than they normally do um but uh, went away from home because the tournament's not played on home floors so that's the best thing that you can do for your tournament resume is beat a good team away from home neutral courts fine so you know the big 10 tournament that's great that's a neutral court or you know uh, truly on the road so for you know like at purdue's resume you're looking at two wins over ohio state home and road that road win over ohio state is one of the best wins anybody can get this season because that's a top five team. And even right. if they end up a top 10 team, that's a fantastic win. And so, you know, that, that helps, but then you, you don't want to take three stupid losses and give it away. Right. right. So you did, right. they, they look for consistency, consistent excellence over the course of the season, which Purdue has done other than the loss to Miami early on, there's, there's no black mark on this resume anywhere. And then, um, so they're, they're top half of the bracket team, if they don't screw up here down the stretch and, and I've got them as a five today. I don't know how comfortable I am with five. It feels more like they should be a six, but um, if they if they play well down the stretch, they could even move up from there. Oh, nice, nice, and that's uh, that's good to hear as a Purdue fan. It's good to see Purdue fans uh, being Purdue taking, like you said, it felt like they've already taken that turn into March. Being that we're in March, being March Madness, I'm excited um, to be a part of this now, kind of in the media space, whether it be just podcasting or not, just covering it a little bit. I'm very, very excited to see what happens this year. But like you said, it's, like, it's going to be different. It's going to be exciting. You should expect some bumps in the road. But Purdue being at, at home in state, I'm, um, I think they should be a little more comfortable. I think they should be able to kind of take the horror to home court advantage, especially getting fans in the arena rooting for them. I think that would be a big one. There aren't any buildings we, aren't, we haven't played in. At some right. point, you know, we've, we've played obviously at Assembly Hall, we've played at Hinkle, we've played at Banker's Life, um, sure. and maybe not Lucas Oil, but uh, most of these buildings we've had a chance to play in. So there should definitely be some familiarity. We don't get to play at Mackey, uh, that's not allowed, but uh, we played in some of these other buildings. Yeah, no doubt. And no, um, like I said, Jerry, thank you for all the contributions you give to college basketball, college football, on the work you've put in, the groundwork you put in, later work for work I'm trying to do now and people after me. So obviously I care about it. Purdue fans care about it. This is work that that matters, you know what I mean? And definitely being able to answer all my questions I had. A lot of this was selfishly driven because I just was curious, but I thank you for taking the time. Um, we we'll always support what you do. Um, can you, you want to throw out your Twitter at all? Oh yeah. So if you uh, want to find me on Twitter, it's uh, at JP Palm CBS. Uh, P is my middle initial, so two P's, JP Palm, CBS. And uh, uh, I try to answer as many questions as I can there. There we go. And yeah, if you want to check us out, um, check us out, RayfieldDavisBasketball.com. We have our basketball camps coming up this month, uh, spring break in West Lafayette, 15th through the 17th, 22nd through the 24th, then in Fort Wayne, April 5th through the 7th. Um, again, shout out to AJ's Burgers, Beef and Beer. I can't wait to check it out this month in a few weeks. Um, 
Field of 68 Podcast Network. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. Um, until next time, Boiler for Rayfield Davis. I appreciate you guys listening.